Hello, welcome to more of the Richard Herring podcast feed, powered by Acast Plus. Uh, hope you're enjoying all these tour podcasts. There is still a chance to catch some, though they're selling out very fast. Uh, we, in fact, Sheffield on the 7th of March sold out. Uh, but check the theatre website for returns. Uh, Monday, the 11th of March, Adam Buxton and Lemsis A in the Leicester Square Theatre sold out. But you can get tickets for the Warwick Arts Centre, where I'm talking to Lindsay Santoro and the Exploding Heads internet phenomenon, and at Bedford on the 21st, where I'm talking to Olaf Falafel and my old friend Al Murray. I'm at Glasgow uh, on the 27th of March, sold out, Susie McCabe and Fred McCauley, and then at Hull on the 28th of March with Tommy Cannon and Bob Morton. Uh, there are three tickets left as I talk to you so get there quick if you want to come and see that also this richardherring.com slash come and see me on tour doing stand-up for the first time in six years richardherring.com slash ballback coming lots of places around England and some places in Scotland uh, and that's about it for the moment all right sit back relax and enjoy rahalastapa I'm Nick Friedman I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another Rehearsal of Book Club. I'm delighted to be joined by the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. None of you tapped today. We've got proper... Hello. He's, we're going to be talking about your book, Breathe. Hello, Sadiq. It's great to join you, Richard. Good to be on. Thanks for having me on. In my job, when I do podcasts and interviews, yeah. I, I'm the funny guy. Okay. I, I'm, the, I'm the king of dad jokes. And so being interviewed by you is making me a bit nervous, Richard, because, you know, I'm, I'm not used to being the unfunny one. But, but All right. I'll, I'll try and be as unfunny as possible. <laughs> uh, the question that's just struck me as I introduce you as the Mayor of London is, is it annoying to you? that the Lord Mayor of London calls himself the Lord Mayor. It sort of feels like one step up from you, but it's not as good, is it? The Lord Mayor's not as good as the Mayor. So, so look, so, so the, the, for those that don't know, the, the Lord Mayor's the guy that wears bling like Jay-Z. <laughs> yeah. The, the Mayor before me, we call the Nightmare, uh, Boris Johnson. <laughs> and so when you call me the Mayor, that's, that's better than those two. OK, fair enough. All right. I, you know, I th- I, if I was the Mayor of London, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd start calling myself the King Mayor or something like that, just to... Uh, just to just to make just get one up on that guy. But look, we're not here to talk about that. We are here to talk about uh, your book, 
Breathe, which I've, I've had this week and read very quickly and very much enjoyed. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you. It's, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a bit about how you became mayor of London and the, and the pressures of being the mayor of London, but it's also uh, about improving the environment, hence the title Breathe, and, and what you've done in London to attempt to address uh, climate change. Um, it is a weird, you know, it's nice to read a book by a politician where you... I think you sort of start cynically because politicians, I think, as you admit in the book, have, have have a bad rap. We sort of assume politicians are liars who are out for themselves. This book at least makes out that you're that you, <laughs> you care about the people you're mayor of. Yeah, yeah. Look, just for the benefit of your listeners who've not not, not had a chance to, to to read the book or hear about the book, is look, this book is not a political memoir. What this book about is uh, a bit of my own personal story, uh, but a handbook in relation to some of the biggest challenges we face. I, I genuinely think the issue of climate change and air pollution, which are, which are linked, uh, is the biggest challenge that, that, that we face. But also, Richard, I told my own personal story in relation to... Look, I'm somebody who thought I was pretty well-informed, pretty well-educated. I was a politician. I'd been cabinet minister, was in the shadow cabinet, so forth. I had no idea there were these invisible particulate matters and nitrogen dioxide and nitrogen dioxide that makes you sick and can lead to your death. 4,000 premature deaths a year in London, nine, ten thousand across uh, the country. And actually, if you and I were talking about climate change, you know, maybe not now, but 10 years ago, five years ago, you think climate change is like happening over there, you know, thousands yeah. of miles away and happening 20, 30 years time. But I recognize Richard and I, I, I talk about the seven different obstacles I face. One of them is cynicism, and you're spot on. There's cynicism that we're all the same, politicians, right? We're all the same. Yeah. We don't do anything. And so what I do in each of the seven chapters is deal with some of the obstacles I've faced. Fatalism, there's nothing we can do about it. Why bother even trying? Uh, yeah. Cynicism, you're all the same. Apathy, well, you know, it doesn't affect me, and so forth. And I and I, and I, I talk in a hopefully an honest and candid fashion, fashion what the obstacles were, what I did to respond to them and what the outcome was. But also, I think hopefully you'll have found it's a book of hope because we've shown in London huge transformation for the better in a short period of time. And the point is, whether you're a politician or an activist, an ordinary person, wherever you live in the country, around the world, hopefully there's something in this book that will interest you. Yeah, I think it, I think it is inspiring in that in that degree. And it is, you know, I think a lot of us do feel... Either, you know, a lot of my, some of my friends have kind of gone down a rabbit hole and think climate change isn't happening, which is a bizarre thing, which is difficult to cope with, which hopefully they'll come come away from. But yeah, I think you do sort of think either there's nothing we can do or no one's going to do anything about it because we, you know, as you talk about Donald Trump and uh, and the previous mayor of London, uh, not, not doing their best. So, it, you know, yeah, it is quite, it's quite, it's nice to see you making choices as the mayor of London and, and even in your campaigns that aren't, um, what I think politicians tend to do now is sort of gauge what they think the public wants Spot to vote on. for, Listen. and 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 then and then say that. And you said this is what I'm going to do. Made a couple of mistakes. You said you're going to plant two million trees, which was impossible. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And I've There's a few sort of um, own goals which I talk about in the yeah. uh, uh, book. But you know, the thing is. Anybody who was in our country last summer and experienced temperatures north of 41 degrees Celsius, that ain't normal, you know. Mm. And, you know, experienced last year and the year before flash flooding in London and across the country, that isn't normal. 
so this is happening now and it's happening to us. And I, I bet you, if you and I were speaking, you know, I was born and raised in London, right? When I went to school, there's only two people that I remember, two people in the entire school, and there were 10 tutor groups, so probably about 1,000 kids in the school. Only two people had asthma and blue pumps, yeah. right? I'm not sure what the school you went to was like. You were sort of similar or sort of age. But I bet you now, yeah. most of your listeners will know somebody, if not themselves, who have asthma. Now, that didn't just happen by itself, right? It's happening because of things we're doing, putting into the air. And you mentioned politicians. Actually, our history is littered with brave politicians. We've, all, we've not always been the, the, the current cabal we've got now. So in the middle of the 19th century, Richard, I kid you, I'm, I'm speaking to you from, from King's Cross. I'm in Spiritland in, in King's Cross, a great venue in King's Cross. But if I was speaking to you in the middle of the 19th century, I'd be telling you it's really stinky around here because the great stink was open sewers leading to thousands of deaths because of cholera. And then brave yeah. politicians asked jo Joseph Bazalgette to build sewers, which fixed the issue of open sewers and the great stink. If you and I are speaking in the middle of the 20th century, in the 1950s, I'd be saying, Richard, for me to get to the studio, I had to go through a great smog. I couldn't see more than three metres in front of me. And the reason was because of power stations in the middle of the city, Baddies Power Station, what is now the Tate. And brave politicians passed the Clean Air Act, unpopular at the time, which led to the air being improved hugely and massive transformation. And my point is, we could go back as recently as the, the noughties. I don't know if you remember, Richard, but a guy called Roy Castle. Yeah. Roy Castle's claim to fame for our generation was record breakers. He played the trumpet and record breakers with Norris McQuirter. But actually, Roy Castle never, never had a fag in his life but he played a trumpet in working men's clubs most of his adult life, got lung cancer, even though he'd never smoked. Yeah. And he humanised the issue of secondhand smoking and cancer. And I remember as, as, as a baby MP in 2006, voting to ban smoking in public places, really unpopular. People said yeah. pubs are going to close down, working men's clubs are going to go down, live music venues, live music venues are going to close down. Lo and behold, you wouldn't dream now, Richard, about bringing back smoking in pubs and so forth. And the point I make in the book is, you know, not, not, in, some, not in some way to proselytise or to, you know, be hectoring or lecturing, is I've got a choice, right? I can be in that group of politicians who kicks the can down the road, doesn't want to make decisions because they are, inverted commas, unpopular or unpalatable, or I can be, you know, in that group of politicians who, you know, makes tough calls, they're hard calls, because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, we, you know, it'd be great if there were more people like that. And it's, I guess with something like the Mayor of London, where you're not, I mean, obviously, it's the council, but there's, you know, it, it's not quite the same as Westminster, where where it is, you know, one person making, you know, the, 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 everyone coming together, you are you are able to lead in a way and not and not worry about um, uh, other other things going on. So, you know, you, it, it is great you've taken that lead. And I think it's great that in the book, you admit that you start, you know, you used to have a gas guzzling. I think Land Rover, you were saying, did you, that you were driving? So when I was a lawyer, London. yeah, it's a, it's a true yeah. I want to be honest. <laughs> listen, listen, I'm not... Never, I will never claim to be the perfect green activist, right? You know, I'll still fly if I'm going holiday far away or whatever, um, you know, and so forth, right? I, I still sometimes have meat and so forth. But so I've got to be honest with you about my journey. And my journey is when I was a lawyer, so in the, in the 1990s, um, you know, I, and I, I became a partner uh, when I was 26. And I, our office was in this great place in Central on the Museum Street. And you know what? I negotiated not a decent salary, but a car park space, even though there's great public transport, right? That was my mentality. When I, yeah. when I, when I, when I had my, when we had our first daughter, I bought a Land Rover Discovery. I was a lawyer at the time store, a Land Rover Discovery, even though 
I could probably count on one hand the, the number of times I left London, never of it off-roading, by the way. Uh, when, I, when I was an MP and I was, I was a minister, you know, uh, you know, I supported uh, you know, a, a new runway at Heathrow, even though at the time there were no plans to address the environmental concerns. So I'm just being honest about my journey. And, and, I, and I've also got to be honest, which is, you know, there's a bit of self-interest in this. Because yeah. basically, you know, training to run the London Marathon, running the London Marathon, breathing in the air around our city because of the training and so forth, I was diagnosed with adult onset asthma. And so I've got skin in the game as an asthmatic, yeah. but all of us have skin in the game because, you know, across the planet, 99% of the world's planet, all, all of our country, are breathing in air that's toxic. And across the planet, uh, 9 million people are dying because of air pollution. And by the way, if we want to avoid heat waves on a regular basis, north of 41 degrees, excess deaths taking place, if we want to avoid more flash uh, flooding, if we want to avoid a situation where you've got global displacement of people because of climate change and the seas rising, we've got to take action. Yeah, no, it definitely. Well, I think, but also the self-interest thing is an important way in. I think, we, you know, you'd, exactly that, that it will affect us all, <laughs> regardless, just because we can't see it. Yeah. But also, I think what the book does brilliantly uh, and very movingly, I think, is, you know, you do talk about uh, Ellie... Uh, Adu Kissy Deborah, who's the the young girl who who yeah. died because of uh, and and I, you know we obviously all knew that story, but I think you you give it a real um, you know you really tell the story properly, and I think that detail about her uh, climbing the monument and being determined to climb the monument and finding it difficult because of these difficulty these uh, uh, the the breathing difficulties, um, you know it really brought that home to me how you know because I've got a very determined eight-year-old <laughs> daughter and so it's to, to read about her it, you know and, and I think the fact that that family her mum Roberta uh and 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 and, and Elliot who we've lost you know they uh they they are a sort of anchor for you for this for this whole course yeah so, so I, I you know I've had the privilege of meeting uh Ella's mum uh, Ro- Rosamond her, her siblings oh, sorry, no 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 her, her, her brothers Robert's her brother and, and Sophia and stuff and, and so yeah. I understand why but it's an innocent mistake I understand that so the thing about Ella is she, she's the Roy Castle of this generation if you see what I mean so so yeah. banning spoken in public spaces you know I hope Roy Castle's family don't feel that we use Roy Castle during that campaign and Ella's family certainly don't think we're, we're misusing Ella but she humanizes it, right? Because those yeah, of us that are yeah. parents, we know how much we want to protect our, our, our children. You don't need to be a parent to worry about this. Yeah. But Ella was a nine-year-old child who two years before she lost her life was diagnosed with asthma. And at the time, nobody realized the link between the pollution outside her home, she lived just off the South Circular, and the links with her having asthma attacks. And just so you know... Um, in in the in the months preceding her death, on many many occasions, Ella's mum uh, Rosamond would do CPR to bring her back to life. She'd be rushed to hospital on many occasions. It was only after she passed away that an expert, you know, uh, Sir Stephen Holgate, looked at the the traffic levels outside her home, the pollution outside her home, and then looked at the times she had the asthma attacks and being rushed in, and saw the link. And the reason why Ella's yeah. death is so important. Uh, to this issue is she's the first person on the planet to have air pollution recorded as a cause of death on a death certificate. Now, we know the link between smoking and lung cancer. We know the link between, for example, obesity and chronic heart disease. But until relatively recently, 
We didn't know the link between air pollution and a whole host of issues from asthma, cancer, dementia, heart disease. And here's, the, here's a really profound point, Richard. You know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, experts knew about the dangers of tobacco and buried it away or pretended not to know about it. We can't pretend. And so you yeah. mentioned at the beginning your very honest point about some of your mates who think climate change may not be happening or whatever. Look, 99% of the world's experts, 99% say climate change is happening. 99% of the world's experts say air pollution causes big health issues. When I've got a toothache, I, I follow the advice of the 99% of dentists rather than the 1% that, you know, follow mad theories on YouTube. And so it's really important we recognise this is happening whether we like it or not. Yeah, but it is a difficult thing. You know, I don't, that's, you know, there are people I just don't talk to because <laughs> they'll tweet this stuff and you go, there's no point in talking to them about it. And it's, I think a lot of it is just about they don't like being told not to drive their car in certain places or having to pay some money to drive their car in certain places. And so they feel that their their freedoms are being, uh, but you know, are being infringed. But of course, your freedoms are being infringed. And the free, and, and as you make the point in the book, more rich people have cars, uh, but the people who were most affected yeah. by these issues, the people in the, the poorer areas and along racial lines, along poverty lines, they're more likely to be affected by this issue. So it's it's... It's kind of horrible if the car owners are complaining oh, no, no, no. about but, fifteen pounds. Yeah, no, but if you if you fees. if you park for a second the issue of social injustice, you're right. Poorer Londoners, poorer people across the country, least likely to own cars suffer the worst consequences. If you park for a second the issue of racial injustice, it's poorer people and those who are Black, Asian, minority ethnic who live by main roads for a variety of reasons who breathe in the stuff. Actually, if you've got a child that goes to a school, they're breathing in this poison on the way to school. Often playgrounds are next to roads which are polluted. Yeah. You could be sitting outside a church in a rural village in England and that idling car is churning out poison yeah. and, and so forth. So it affects all of us. I don't want your listeners to think it's just a, an inner city London issue or just a city issue. We're all affected by this, as indeed we're all affected by climate change. And so, you know, air pollution and climate change, you can't speak about one without speaking about the other. I accept, though, by the way, and you raise a really important point. There are some people through no fault of their own who will be adversely affected. And I do worry about them. If you're a low income family who needs to use your car, if you're a sole trader who needs to use your car, if you're a, a small business, you're a plumber, you need to use your vehicle, if you're a charity. And that's why in London, what I've done is set up a £110 million scrappage scheme on top of the £61 million scrappage scheme we had before to support those families. The, the jargon, just to you know, the jargon is, inverted commas, a just transition. What that means basically is how we go from, you know, being a, a society which, which churns out, you know, carbon from fossil fuel, you know, to, to renewables, solar, wind, but also how we make the choices from not driving polluting vehicles to walking or cycling where we can, using public transport where we can, but using a less polluting uh, vehicle. Because as I said to you, Richard, I'm not saying we should all be Puritans who are, you know never fly anywhere, never jump in a car, etc. I'm, I'm being realistic and pragmatic about that. But, but you're right, yeah. there are issues to make sure we make the transition as fair as possible. Yeah, great. It's, you know, it, you, it is all explained very well in the book, and it is, you know, it, it is... 
that difficulty. I mean, you did you discuss the plumber you met at? I think the plumber you met at. The yeah, party. Michael. He's, yeah, yeah, he's ha- yeah. He's having a go at you because he because he has to pay fifteen pounds. I tell you what, it was, it was, it's a true story for those that, that <laughs> yeah. yeah those I, I, mean, I talk about it in the book, but basically there was, there was a stage where I was avoiding people because you know they, they were <laughs> adversely affected, including you know family and uh, uh, friends, and you, and it's you know one of the things I talk about is the issue of cost. So there's seven chapters. As I said one of the chapters is cost. Um, and Michael, uh, who's who's you know an electrician, who's you know um, still talking to me, initially not initially very angry, uh, but actually you know he he's seen the benefits to himself. He said, "I may put Richard. By the way, I'm not sure if your listeners realise this. If you're driving a pollutant vehicle, you're breathing in poison. You're breathing in poison. Right. If you've got two kids in the back, they're breathing in uh, poison. Aside from the poison, you're churning up for the rest of us who are walking in the pavements and stuff. So it's in your interest uh, to do so. But also, you know, someone like Michael is now benefiting hugely from the policies we brought in." It's good. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also, small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to LinkedIn.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're a Shark Tank fan or business junkie, check out the podcast, Another Bite. Each week, Another Bite breaks down the biggest success stories and most disastrous failures to come out of Shark Tank. The hosts break down each company's pitch, analyze the deals that were or weren't made, and answer the million-dollar question, are they still a company? Whether you're an entrepreneur looking for tips or a Shark Tank fan that just wants to relive the drama, Another Bite's your deep dive into the world of Shark Tank. Just search for Another Bite in your favorite podcast app, like the one you're listening to right now. Well, get, talking of people complaining to you, I'll give you my complaint. I uh, I find the... <laughs> can you have a look at the Congestion Charge website? I think it's the most difficult website to navigate in the world. I've tried two or three times. I've, I've got an electric car... And I've, when, I've had, when I've tried to get everything uploaded, I've had to ring up because of, and I'm not a fuddy old man who doesn't understand computers. I've had to ring up to, to so, get it so working. We're, we're going we're to improve the TFL website. And there'll be an asterisk mark saying, courtesy of the Richard Herring Book Club uh, Please. Uh, commentary. Yeah, but no, it's a fair point. Let me take that away. Fair point. Uh, thank you. And I did ask my wife if she had any complaints for you. We don't live in London anymore, but we're in there a lot. And she said, no, you're doing a fantastic job. So bless her. Uh, you know, what, what's that football so, shirt? So, what's that football shirt you're wearing, by the way? He, York, York City. Oh, yeah, okay. I thought I didn't recognise it. I, I only follow... <laughs> you only follow the bad clubs, York City. I mean, London's a nice city, but York City is the best yeah, city in yeah, the world. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm from, I, I was born near there, so uh, unfortunately, and then stayed loyal to them. But, you know, they didn't get relegated from the National League. So, you know, every every cloud has a silver lining. Uh, there are, there is, you know, it is a serious book. There's, there are, you know, you are, um, you are, a, for a politician, you're funny, I'll tell you that. Steve. But it's uh, a low bar, it's a low it's bar. A low, it's, a, it's, it's a low, low uh, bar. I don't, Richard, I, I don't approve of uh, political jokes. I've seen too many elected. <laughs> Very good, uh, but there are some funny. I mean, well, a there's some nice fact. A nice fact of why the why the Blackwall Tunnel has a bend in it. I didn't know this. Do you want to tell our listeners why the Blackwall Tunnel has a bend? In it? So, so, so basically, if you, if you think about you know, when these tunnels were first built during the Victorian times, that there'd be horse and carts using these uh, tunnels, and, and those that know about horses know when they first see light, they can bolt, and so to avoid a horse bolting when they saw you know literally light in the tunnel. They'd put a bend in the tunnel so for a long part of the journey a horse wouldn't see the light and so when you use some when you go through some of our tunnels in london you can always tell the ones that are the old victorian ones because there's a there's a there are curve and bends to right. avoid horses bolting the problem is though you just imagine the traffic we now have in our tunnels is very different to the traffic for which the tunnels are first designed in the in the victorian times that's why there is an issue about maintenance and so forth but yeah there, there are there, there's a there's there are a couple of massive bends in the blackwall tunnel for that reason that's very interesting. Um, uh, the beavers have been reintroduced to London. I wasn't aware of that, so that's a, that's I'm not, a nice uh, fact. Well, yeah, th- that's a nice fact. But it's well, a, something called rewilding, which basically, if you think about the last 200 years, you know, by the way, York's a good example as well. Okay, we, we, have, we have dewilded our cities for, 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 for humans, right? We've, uh, the ur- urbanisation has meant yeah. to not just less greenery, but less animals. So what we're trying to do in London is rewild. And you'll love this, Richard, which is the first two beavers. And by the way, beavers are great for, they build dams, they're really good for the environment and so forth. But the first two beavers we introduced, uh, we named the two beavers. The first beaver was Justin Beaver. Okay. Uh, and the second beaver was, of course, Sigourney uh, beaver and uh, and uh, yeah, we're bringing in bees and and you know beavers and you know yeah. bats and uh, you know more more you know fish in our rivers and our lakes and so forth because they help they help the environment that they're great for our mental well being but also actually Richard it's for me it's an issue of social justice as well because you're lucky you li- you live in you know where you live and stuff and you get to see greenery you can hear birds singing but in London yeah. many Londoners don't go to the sea don't have holidays overseas and so they don't see nature and one of the things that i realized during the pandemic is firstly the impact on my mental health by not being able to mix and mingle and so forth but how much we valued even in london green spaces and uh nature but if you're living you know on the 17th floor of a you know council estate quick and you've not got a garden question how much nature do you see and so rewilding is important for our environment these tools of climate change and air pollution but also it's good for us humans as well it's good for our mental health yeah and it's interesting within the but obviously uh the the uh, uh the current the covid uh period was a terrible period in many many ways but it was there, there were some positives that came out of it in terms of being able to make some of these changes uh due to due to london basically having shut down and on and also uh, well, the, the, presumably we lost, you know, the, the uh, um, there was less pollution in, during those times as well, most of the time. Yeah, so, so listen, I, I feel, I'm always very careful saying this because yes, COVID, yeah. COVID was horrible, you know. It, thousands of people lost their lives and there are still families grieving. But there's a lovely phrase that, that, that Winston Churchill once used. He used it in the context of post-Second World War. And the phrase was, 
never waste a crisis. Uh, and what he meant by that was that the crisis provides an opportunity to do stuff you otherwise wouldn't do. And it led to Churchill being integral in setting up the United Nations and European Court of Human Rights and so forth and so forth. And the point you make is very important because we saw during those few months when there was lockdown, a massive, massive improvement in air quality, a massive, massive increase in people walking and cycling and so forth. And none of us wants to go back to lockdown, by the way. But actually, we can see the cause and effect. You know, during those three, four months, I didn't use my asthma pump, didn't take any medication. Uh, and there are examples of people for the first time in decades being able to see the Himalayas from India because all the smog had gone from that part of the world. And so we try to use the opportunity caused by this awful pandemic to see if we could build on what was happening. So building more cycle lanes so people feel safe riding their bikes, widening the pavements so people want to walk and cycle and they're enticed to walk and uh, cycle. Bear in mind people have fallen back in love with nature, planting more uh, trees across our city bringing in new planning rules to say, if you want to build a new property in London, whether it's a home or a building, you've got to make sure that the roof is green and you're not causing problems with air quality. You're helping air quality, not causing a hindrance. It was called air quality positive. And we give other examples uh, in the uh, book in relation to the benefits of this awful pandemic and seeing it as an opportunity. But here's the really lovely thing is the same conversations taking place around the world, whether you speak to the mayor of Paris or Los Angeles or New York or Barcelona or Madrid. Because what we thought we'd do when we were speaking to each other is could we, could we, you know, build back greener, fairer, you know, safer, not, not revert to business as usual, but could we see what we could do to use this awful crisis as an opportunity, but also this awful problem, climate change, reliance on fossil fuels as an opportunity and at the same time create jobs. So I'll give you a good, good example. If we're talking about, you mentioned your electric car, more electric cars being built, electric vehicle charging points, rapid charging points for our commercial vehicles, uh, solar panels, wind turbines, uh, insulating our homes, double glazing, triple glazing. That's an opportunity to create jobs. That's an opportunity yeah. for our economy to prosper and thrive going forward. And here's the lovely point about our history. Our country benefited hugely from the Industrial Revolution. Um, which actually caused some of the problems we're facing now. Wouldn't it be great if our country benefited from the Green Revolution in relation to not just fixing some of the problems we created, but also creating jobs and exporting some of that, that you know, uh, intelligence and some of those jobs and, you know, exporting these things. And so, you know, in London, we, we haven't got the expertise to build the electric buses we need. But you know where there's expertise? In Yorkshire, in, in Ballymena in Northern Ireland, in Falkirk in Scotland. So it's a virtual circle. If we can you know, get more electric buses in London. It's great job. It creates jobs around our country where there's the expertise, the factories and, and the wherewithal. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it, all these things are fantastic. And I think what's interesting, again, from your story as well, your story of coming, you know, from being an MP and, and then uh, getting to be chosen as the candidate for Labour as mayor and then becoming mayor, which was sort of against the odds. And then, and now you're the uh, that the, I don't know what the title is, but the chair or the head of the uh, of the cities of the, around the world. We say El, 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 El Presidente. El Presidente <laughs> is good, yeah. The Grand Lord Presidente. Uh, so that's all very interesting. But I, you know, but I wonder as well that by it's again because it's rare to see politicians at the moment 
being positive and being decent. It's sort of interesting to compare you to the previous mayor, whose name I've forgotten, uh, and also to Zach Goldsmith's campaign against you, which was a very negative campaign and, a, and an unpleasant campaign that uh, that he launched against you. Uh, and I wonder whether, you know, it sort of shows that people don't, you know, I think what Suella Braverman's doing, people aren't, you know, they're doing this in the hope that people will respond in a negative way and, and enjoy the negativity and think I'm voting for that because I, you know, for whatever reasons. But it feels like your story shows that people respond well to decency or don't or don't respond well to people being negative and being unpleasant because, you know, it's great that London I'm not unsurprising because London is a, a wonderful <laughs> cosmopolitan city, but it's great that they didn't respond to to the the campaign of Zach Goldsmith, for example. So, so what, one of the reasons why you know, this book I think is going to be interesting is because is it's, it's, it's a hopeful, positive uh, book. Yeah. But actually, you've you've encapsulated some of the joys of British people, and it's not just London, by the way. Actually, we should see the best in people, not the worst. There, there is a theory. I'm afraid, I'm sorry to be party political, that the Conservatives have and the Republicans in America have and many others around the world have. It is the way is the way to win elections is to be uh, negative. And what I mean by that is, rather than addressing the legitimate fears you have, I'll play in your fears. So if your fear is, I can't get my daughter into a decent school, I can't get my mum getting decent health care, I can't get my brother a decent home uh, uh, near me, I'll play in your fears by blaming the other, by blaming the immigrant, by blaming those coming on a boat uh, who are asylum seekers yeah. and refugees. Rather than saying, you know what, the reason why your daughter can't get to a decent school, we're not invested in the schools and the teachers. The reason why your mum can't get health care is because we've not invested in the NHS for a number of years. And we need to make you know reform backed up by uh, investment. We need to build more genuinely affordable homes. I've got to address your fears because your fears are genuine. Your fears are genuine. Those are your life experiences, but it's... I can't address your fears in 140 characters in a tweet. And also the evidence from around the world, from the Trump victory in America to you go to Poland, you go to Brazil, you go to what almost happened in France, uh, you go to other parts of the world is negativity can win elections. And that's what we've seen from you know this government for the last 13 years. What we saw with the campaign against me in 2016 and to an extent in 2021. But, you know, you know I, th I think... People and British people, it applies across the country, by the way, are better than you think they are. And what I say to those who try and have negative campaigns, try and divide communities, is this culture war you're embarking on, uh, be very careful what you wish for in relation to this culture war, because actually the, the downsides are far more than the upsides if you get it wrong. And so I, I'm somebody who believes in bringing people together. I'm not going to be, you know, holy than thou and stuff, you know, sometimes, of course you know, you behave in a way you reflect and you should behave better and stuff. But actually, you know, not just Londoners, but I think people across the country are, are, are more generous than you think they are. We're the country. Listen, we built sewers before the rest of the planet. We, you know, started removing power stations from the centre of our cities before the rest of the uh, planet. And as a city, London is doing far more than, than any city across the planet, any global city. And so, again, I think we can, we can show leadership. Yeah. And, you know, and I think and I think people respond to that positively. And again, I think the book does make you think, oh, what can I do, or what can I stop doing, or what, or, or is there, you know, is there any? And I, I always felt that when you know I did live in London for a long time, and I was, you know, a single man for a lot of it, and I spent a lot of time, you know, just in my house, not doing anything, and and, and I kind of, you know, I thought, you know, if, if there'd been some some organisation or some impetus to go out and help or do stuff, you know, and I I feel with this with this book and with with that sort of campaign. You're sort of encouraging people to get involved and encouraging people to 
to help because it's you know you're helping every it will as you say it's helping everyone in lots of different ways a to stay alive b to create new jobs uh, and so it, it is great to you know it's great and stupidly it feels rare and, and I know that most politicians the politicians we have rammed down our throats are often uh, you know the other kind of politician but most politicians are most MPs as well in Westminster are hard working yeah people, from all parties uh, of, uh, from all parties yeah who are just trying to get stuff done yeah, and, and we, you know, and so it's it is great to to see to see someone doing. Obviously, you've written this book yourself, so you know it's not <laughs> it's not necessarily a, a, a perspective from outside of it. But it, you you know you can't deny that what you're doing is is caring about your community as a Londoner as well. You know, as someone born and bred in London, and uh, as you may have mentioned, your dad was a bus driver. I don't know if that's come out. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> tooting, and so you know it is. It does feel like. You know, it, it does feel like London has one of its own, uh, whereas maybe the previous guy, uh, as much as he may have lived in London, felt felt like yeah, uh, no, no, I, I, a different strata. I, I hope so. I, I, you know, like, like, like I've said uh, uh, as honestly as I can, I've got skin in the game. I'm not going anywhere. I'm the first. I'm the first in. So my grandparents migrated from India to Pakistan. My parents migrated from Pakistan to London. I'm the first in three generations of Khan who's not going nowhere. So this is, I've got skin in the game in relation to improving uh, London. But, you, but the thing you mentioned that I want, to, I want to go back to, which is this. I, actually, my, my wish for the book, actually, if I'm honest, is to do what you mentioned. I, I want many people, if we're honest, and many of your listeners, um, if they're honest, have, and you mentioned your experience in London, are actually passive consumers. I, 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 I'll explain what I mean that in a second, but I, I want those passive consumers to become active citizens. So don't, as a, as a as a consumer, when you go into a supermarket, you see three types of detergent and you just buy it passively, right? You see the price or the color, whatever. It's a, it's, a, it's a transactional passive relationship. Whereas if you're a citizen, it's a two-way relationship and you've got skin in the game, you're getting involved in your community, it could be cleaning up your river, it could be recycling more, it could be... By the way, I am the most imperfect person you will ever find. You know, I probably, you know, if I question myself just today, I probably left the tap running too long when I was brushing my teeth. There's, there's things that, you know, I came with my tubes, I've been good there. I walked to the station, I've been good there. But so none of us is perfect. I'm not saying never fly, become a vegan, only buy recycled, pre-loved clothes, recycled clothes. I'm not saying any of that stuff because I, I'm imperfect. But you're spot on. There are things we can do, little things that will make a difference. And actually, yeah. the thing that should really motivate you is air pollution and climate change is happening and it is happening to us and you and i can be you know the first generation to get it and do something about it or the last generation not to because our kids what's called you know generation z they get it yeah. and you know we've got a choice and, and i hope we make the choice to do something about it rather than the alternative yes well you know I, it does you know i think this book will help people hopefully come to that realisation. And, uh, you know, I, th I think, it, as you say, I think it's become much more, people have become m much more involved in this. And when you were first elected, it probably wasn't as big an issue as it is it is now. So it was a kind of bold thing, isn't it? Well, what we uh, did to, was... To make it a campaign thing in the first time. But, yeah, people are now no, more spot and more on. behind you. Spot on. What, what we did was, though, the first year, it's, it's really fascinating looking back. So one of the things I've been mean, when I was writing the book is, you start going back into the memory vault. And I, and I remember, you see, what what what, what happened was this. When you call an issue an environmental issue, it doesn't have the sense of urgency. And we did some, we looked at some research here, which is the way the mind is programmed. Is if something's 
there, there's immediacy or urgency or take action. So if your if your if your child was crossing the road and was going to be run over, you jump and and, and you protect her, right? Because you can see the urgency happening. But if it's happening over a long period of time, your child breathing in poison, you, you, there's no sense of urgency or, or climate change. And that's led to a lack of action. But also we realised if you have a health crisis, people will take action. So what we did in the first year I was mayor, uh, Richard, was we had across London all these air quality monitors installed, including particularly outside schools, outside GP practices, outside hospitals, so we could monitor what the air quality was like because we needed to know how bad the air was or how good the air was. And then let Londoners know in a non-patronising way to educate people. There's a great quote from a former MP called Tony Benn. Tony Benn said, one of the roles of a politician is to be a teacher. And so the idea was to educate people about how bad, about how bad things are because you can't sure. see it, right? Now, once people realised how bad things were, not in an alarming way, but just they were educated, that gave me permission to be bold in my policies. Does that make sense? You know, yeah. had I, on day one of the election, brought in bold policies, people would have, whoa, what's going on here? So you've got to bring people with you. It's that, it's that, it's that fine yeah. balance between fellowship and leadership and getting, getting the balance right. Sometimes you've got to lead and not follow the latest trend. But obviously, I've got to reapply for my job every four years. So I can't do things that are unpopular all the time. And so getting that balance right is 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 a, is, is a combination of art and science. And so I've been honest in my book. I've not got everything right. You mentioned, and I'm very grateful, uh, the two million trees. Thanks, mate. Um, but, but you know, so I've not got everything right. But the, so whether you're a normal citizen talking to your member of the family or a neighbour or whether you're an activist or a politician, I've talked about the obstacles we all face. You mentioned, you know, in relation to, you know, nothing we can do about it, fatalism. Uh, you know, cynicism, like you said, they're all the same, right? Mm. Apathy, well, you know, um, uh, you know, it doesn't affect me. Uh, Deprioritising, deprioritizing, you know, actually there are other things much more important than this. Um, hostility, you know, uh, I'm against this, yeah. you know, the vocal minority and, and some people from, you know, conspiracy theorists latch on to that the cost. You, know, you mentioned Michael, the electrician, uh, and gridlock. And so we mentioned the seven. And by the way, you don't need to be the mayor to have these issues. They could apply to you. You could have somebody, right, who says to you, you know what, nothing we can do about it. And the, the chapter to do with, um, you know, uh, uh, apathy explains, you know, what how you respond to the situation of apathy. And I'm hoping, and yeah. for the conversations I've had with, with friends who've read this book, so the, the mayor of Paris has read the book and is very, very generous in our compliments you know the mayor of uh former of new york has read it mike, mike bloomberg really complimentary and stuff and you know prime ministers across the globe and so they've been very complimentary as have things like people like mums for lungs uh, and others because you, you don't need to be a policy wonk or a politician for this hopefully book to be accessible to you and for, for yeah. the lessons to be taken away yeah well i think you know it's for the public i think it's great that other politicians hopefully will read it as well because i think it does does lay out what you've done very well um, there's a couple of things I want to cover quickly. I mean, you talk about you had a quite bad health scare when you went to talk uh, at the C40. Um, uh, and uh, we're typically, and I've had a health scare uh, myself in the last couple of years. And uh, typically as a man, you sort of were, you, you, you might have basically had a heart attack, a minor heart attack, but you were kind of saying, I'm going to bed and I'm going to carry on. Uh, it, I, is everything uh, okay there? Is that, uh, did, did, yeah, are you... Are you because you work very hard, so I was just worrying about you on a personal level. Are you are you looking after yourself? Yeah, I, I, funny you say that. So it's literally, as, as I'm talking to you, I'm wearing a I'm wearing a um, 
a heart monitor to mention my to, to measure my heart beat okay. so my, my health expert makes sure that i'm, I'm doing well this, this my heart experts doing that and so if he tells me tomorrow that my my pulse went up a lot and my heart rate went, went up a lot uh, during the the hours we're recording the chicken i'm going to tell him at this at 11 40 a.m the reason why my heart was going berserk was harry was asking me all these tough questions but no listen the, the key thing is i say to all your listeners on a serious note i mean men were very bad at physical yeah. fitness and mental fitness and and it's really important so if, if you and i were talking about you know, physical fitness, you'd be saying, listen, Sadiq, make sure you eat sensibly, you should do exercise and so forth. The same goes for mental fitness as well. You do things to keep your mental well-being, uh, you know, well. And, you know, without giving away, um, uh, you know, what happened in Glasgow during COP26, you know, at the time I wasn't scared. I, I was like many men would be, which is focused on doing the job that I wanted to do, which is yeah. to deliver a big speech, take part in a big session at COP26, probably the biggest day for mayors across the globe in the history of cops uh, and a heart attack is a bit inconvenient uh when you've got, you got a big gig the next day you spent the last week prepping uh at four uh but you know i you know touch wood you know th- th- i'm fine looking after myself eating sensibly you know getting regular checkups and stuff and that includes yeah. uh, from from a heart expert and uh and, and so forth so you know um thanks for asking that's all right and uh and you you met it was that way you met Leonardo DiCaprio it was around that time you met Leonardo DiCaprio yeah, so, which so, is, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to give very away. embarrassing no it's, 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 it's worse <laughs> it's worse so I don't listen, I, I'm, I'm one of the joys of my job is I meet lots of wonderful people some of them are famous you know and so forth and so forth but the reason why I tell the story is because um I, I cringe I seem, seem so my my daughters tell me that I tell the worst dad jokes, and I say to my girls, "Listen, I was telling dad jokes before I was a dad, right?" And I can't help it. So let me tell you the funny story. So I saw Titanic with my wife twenty five years ago when it first came out, right? And I've always, for years, thought. So for those that have not seen the film, I'm sorry if I've if I'm spoiling a few, but the ship the, the ship goes the down. The ship sinks. The it ship does sink. sink. <laughs> but there, there, there's a scene. Have you, have you you've seen the film, Richard? Yeah. I have done. Yeah. There, there's a there's a there's a scene at the end, and and uh, where where Kate Winslet, who's Leo's love interest, has a raft, right? And and long story short, there is space for only one of them, and Kate survives, and Leo doesn't. And yeah. so I, I meet Leonardo DiCaprio, who actually that, that was very generous in in tweeting positive things about my policy. He said okay. you know, year, years before I met him. Right. And so in my head, I've thought about this really witty thing, which is the, the character Leo plays in Titanic called Jack, right? And so, you know, I spent years thinking about this. If I ever meet Leo and Dr. Capri, I'm going to say this to him. Years. And, you know, you must have this where you formulate a joke in your head. I know you do for a living different to me, but you formulate yeah. a joke in your head and you think it's really funny. Well, I've not road tested it, right? Because it's in my head. I've, I never think yeah. I'm going to meet Leo, right? So so I've not road tested the joke with my wife and my, my team and my so forth, right? So I say... <laughs> I'm embarrassing you the story, but it's in the book. So I say, you know what, Jack, I'd have made space on my raft for you. <laughs> and I suspect, firstly, it's not funny, but secondly, I ain't the yeah. first guy telling that joke, and his face is. Straight. I think he probably gets it every every single his day. Face his face is so. There was, but there was nothing. Not even the eyes. Not even there was. There was not. There was not even a groan. There was a nothing. So you know. And then when you when you tell a bad joke, and you must tell a bad joke, you then pivot to moving on. And so I moved on to some policy conversation with Leo. But what's yeah. interesting is not how bad my joke telling is or my joke writing is. On a serious note, you know, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio is somebody passionate about climate change and, and air pollution. And so, you know, he was in COP using his inverted commas celebrity to raise awareness of this issue. He gets nothing out of being there. 
And, you yeah. know, it's really important to have allies. And again, people say, yeah, yeah, but this guy, you know, uses a private jet. You know, look, not everyone's perfect. I'm not saying you've got to be somebody who sells around the world to try and get this message across. And so, you know, what I don't want is anybody listening to this is thinking this doesn't concern me because I'm not a vegan who, you know, only wears recycled clothes, who never flies. All of us can, in our own way, you know, play a role. A celebrity like, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio by raising awareness of the issue, using the power of being a celebrity to raise awareness. You know, me as the mayor uh, and your listeners do other things they can do. Yeah, it's you know it is great. It is it is very inspiring. So I would recommend everyone uh, buys Breathe. It's lovely. I do ask all my guests. I know we're running out of time, but uh, uh, are you, do you get time to read a lot? I mean, you do seem very busy. Uh, now, is there any other book that you are reading that you would like to recommend that isn't your own book? I, I've been sent. I've not read it yet. Alistair Campbell's uh, new book, which is encouraging people to get involved in um, in, in politics, small small p politics, and and also. There's an author who um, I've met him a few times and he is a genius. And I use this word, you know, very, very rarely. He's a chap you may not have heard of called Richard Osman. Oh, yes. And uh, his Thursday Murder Club books are just <laughs> superb. And, you know, the thing is, you know, the th I hate him because the guy's a genius. I mean, the guy, you know, not content with, you know, writing these, you know, really brilliant game show programs not content with being a very funny man you know uh, he's also clearly a wonderful writer so it's i love richard osman books so, so fiction i tend to read i tend to read during the summer and lf shafek richard osman robert harris I, I you know take away their books during the summer holidays during the rest of the year i tend to read tend to read non-fiction uh, and there's also another book i forget the name of the doctor brilliant doctor i'm just i've just just started reading the first chapter about uh, ultra processed foods i forget his name now it's going to i'm going to i'm going to be really annoyed about this but he's he's, he's in the top 10 non-fiction uh, best-selling uh, list but it's a really interesting book about ultra processed foods and what they do you know sometimes when you're eating foods and you get this sort of you feel a bit moorish yeah uh, you want, it, well, i that, do <laughs> what, what that, that's deliberately done the chemicals they put in these ultra processed foods to make you feel moorish because your brain is telling your your gut that there's a lovely piece of, you know, high nutritional protein fish coming, but in fact it's not as crisps, and so you want more of it because your you, your gut's not being assuaged uh, by right. the crisps you're eating and stuff. So th those are the two books that I'm, I'm currently trying to get through. Terrific, great. Well, look, I really appreciate you giving some time, and uh, well done, well done for being Mayor of London and also managing to write a book at the same time. That seems. Uh... It's pretty good. I hope you've uh, you talk about having your emergency Snickers. I hope you've got emergency Snickers ready for. I do. Well, listen, Richard. Th thanks for having interviews. me on. Thanks for having me on, and, <laughs> no, uh, and well done for being a York City fan. <laughs> you know, someone has to do it. Yeah, unfortunately, that, and it is me. Cheers, mate. Take care. Speak <laughs> Thank soon. you, Cindy. Thanks Stay well, Cheers, brother. Bye -bye. Take care. Bye bye. If you're a Shark Tank fan or business junkie check out the podcast, Another Bite. Each week, Another Bite breaks down the biggest success stories and most disastrous failures to come out of Shark Tank. The hosts break down each company's pitch, analyze the deals that were or weren't made, and answer the million-dollar question, are they still a company? Whether you're an entrepreneur looking for tips or a Shark Tank fan that just wants to relive the drama, Another Bite's your deep dive into the world of Shark Tank. Just search for Another Bite in your favorite podcast app, like the one you're listening to right now. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. 
eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Thanks very much, richardherring.com slash Rahalastapa for those remaining Rahalastapa dates, Rahalastapa, and richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour to find out all the tour dates for my upcoming stand-up. Would love to see you at those ones. Please book tickets if you can. All right, enjoy another podcast. Don't listen to anyone else's podcast but mine. Stay faithful, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye. <laughs>